0: Praise the Lord, everybody. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Such a wonderful presence of the Lord is in this place. And I just want to commend to all of you. First of all, I'm thankful for this youth ministry and all of these young people that give their gifts. And what a blessing it is for them to lead us in worship. And I want to commend you for being here on this wonderful Wednesday night as we get into the Word of God. How many are ready to get into the Word tonight? Let's go to the New Testament, to Matthew, the fourth chapter, Matthew chapter 4. And I'll begin reading at the first verse, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. When you found it, say amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this moment that you have given us, that as the people of God, we truly desire to learn from you. May your word, may it just descend into the sanctuary. May the gift of prophecy be in the room. May none of my words fall to the ground, but may your people hear and do your word that we may grow, that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered and the tempter underline that in your bible came to him and said if thou be the son of god command these stones be made bread but he said but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god So notice that when the tempter came, the tempter tried him, and he responded with the word. In fact, that's what all of us should take note of, because three times in 11 verses, the tempter tried him, but the response was always, it is written. There are some things that are already written about your situation that if you would declare them, just with your mouth, you could change your situation. Would you say that with me? It is written. It is written. That's why you got to read this word, because if you don't read through this word, you won't know what is written. And man, I I, I hear Christians profess foolish things and stuff. They mix New Age in with it, and they mix grandma's teachings and. You know, people used to, there were and good sayings that they had growing up, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Things, You know, that's not a scripture, although it is good for you to be clean. You know, uh, God helps those that helps themselves. We hear all of those things, and if you don't read the word, you'll just think that that's what is written. So while those are good sayings, this word here has forever been settled in heaven, and when The word of God that has already been written is agreed by you in the earth, something happens. I mean, I've stood in this city and declared things over my home and over this city that have come to pass. Thank you, my brother. They have come to pass not because I'm anything great, but because I know one who is. And that's not arrogance, but it is confidence in the written word of God. If you have the word in your hand and you have this opportunity to declare over your life what God has said, you can change your situation. If you continue to declare what God has said, even when you don't see it, you keep saying it. Some of you will see it because you keep saying it. You can change your situation, not by your words, but by the word of God. And when doubt comes in... You remind the doubter, you remind the devil, hey, these are not my words, these are God's. For what he's already declared had been settled in my life. And so, let's pick up at verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So he tries to use the word against him. But then Jesus says, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I want you to notice verse 3. The tempter came. Who's the tempter? The devil. The devil. Let's get that. Who's the tempter? The devil. Now, who is he tempting? Jesus. The Lord Jesus. So when in this second temptation, he tells him, hey, if you'll just cast yourself down, it's already written angels will come and bear you up. He said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. An interesting quote here, and you need to underline this or at least take note of it, that Jesus refers to himself as God. Jesus refers to himself as God. He's not talking about someone somewhere else. He said, listen, I'm going to be a little more direct with you. Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high place and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory in them. And saith, saith unto him, all these things will I give to thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Now, Look at how bold this is because Jesus is standing there among a community of people who feel like it is blaspheming to say that you are God and he is telling the devil, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. He's again a second time referring to himself as God and Him only shalt thou serve. And then I like verse 11, which says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels come and minister unto him. Why was this written? All of this was written for our example that you and I may know how to deal with the devil when he comes. For all of you are going to have encounters you're going to have times in which the enemy's going to come to pervert God's will in your life. To try to confuse you or convince you of something otherwise. Jesus was never confused. But the example is here for you and I. Because if the enemy can confuse you and I about who we worship, then everything else won't work in this Christian life. And I want to speak tonight. I'm teaching. I'm teaching on this subject at what may become a series of messages, something I felt in my heart for some time. Let the worshipers arise. Let the worshipers arise. Any worshipers in the house? This church has in its name the word worship. In fact, it is known or has been known that we are a people that do get dramatic and excited about, even demonstrative in, our worship to the one true and living God. In fact, as I was speaking to someone this week, they said they were in council with a Jewish rabbi. And the rabbi told them, they said that every priest the first responsibility of the priest is to be a defender of monotheism. You know what monotheism is? Monotheism is in the the belief in one God and that every priest has the responsibility to be a defender in, in the belief or the teaching of one God. So I'll show you in just a few moments in one of the Gospels where Jesus is talking to a scribe and brings up the Shema, who was, was how they called to worship Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it led me to really some pondering of my responsibility as a local pastor. Years ago, uh, Bishop Roland Baker came for several years and Taught our leaders and spoke in this service. And one of the things that he told me his role at the Apostolic Church in Pontiac, it is a mega church listed by whatever listings, which means it's a member, a church whose membership is over 2,000 members. That at a young age, God spoke to him while um, Steve Warman was preaching that Steve Warman was to become the next pastor. And I believe it was at the age of about 50 that he became the bishop of that assembly and turned the, uh, the role of pastor over to a younger man. And he said for the rest of his life, the role of bishop, it was before him, and then it, when the next person comes would be passed to him and then beyond. Had one responsibility... And it was to keep that church following the apostles' doctrine. Meaning that was the responsibility. That no matter how young or dynamic any of the other ministers would be, that the elder would always pull things back in line and say, we're going to stick to the apostles' doctrine and we will stick to the oneness of God. We're going to stick to Jesus' name baptism. It was what had been handed to him from generation to generation and he had no right to change what had been given to him. And so I began to realize that the role that I have in this assembly is to clearly and articulately, as I can, say that there is but one God and his name is Jesus and that we as the people of God Should we ever stray from that, we will be walking away from the power of the name of Jesus, and we will be walking away from the foundation that the apostles and prophets, that means Old Testament and New Testament, laid out for us to receive. So I want to just teach on this, but I want to come at it from the perspective of worship. Because I believe that any time you face things in your life, if you can learn how to worship, that worship can change situation. Can somebody say this? Just say, worship can change situation. Put your hand on yourself and say, in fact, it can change my situation. Now look at your neighbor and say, I know it can change your situation. Look at one more per- person and say, and look, said, and I know worship can change yours. <laughs> because worship is strategic to what God has called you and I to do. We have really a crisis when it comes to churches in this day because we are so connected To, how do I say this? We see so much in the world as it pertains to entertainment. That so many churches are driven to the lights bright up here. And dark out here. And the worship is done by six people up here. And a band. And we either connect with the church or not connect according to what happens with those six people during a worship service. But do you know that was never God's intent for you to come and just be entertained by the worshipers? Now, I believe that we ought to have the best worship team that we can have. I'm going to give you some insight. Did you see these young people up here singing? They're in training. They're young. We're giving them opportunities to step out and worship. In fact, when they lead us in worship... We ought to be even more aggressive, those of us who are older, to get behind them, not just sit and look at them, but to lift up a noise in the house that would glorify God because I guarantee you that when we get away from fighting, debating, arguing, pondering, all of the things that come through our flesh, with other people, conflicting with those that are in agreement with us, and we get back to worshiping, God will fight battles for us that we can't even fight ourselves. I tell you, that's where I'm at. I feel good tonight. I feel good. Somebody texted me yesterday. They were depressed, and, and I just had to admit to them. I said, well, I actually feel pretty good today. When you're feeling bad and you want somebody to feel bad with you, but but you just can't go there. That's not to say that I don't have a bad day every now and then, meaning in my flesh, I get a little tired. But I just said, I feel really good today. And they kind of simmered down a little bit because, you know, what were they going to say? And there's something about confessing and focusing and worshiping and consecrating and dedicating ourselves to God that literally changes us and when we get changed, it changes the atmosphere around us. Oh, we spend a lot of time trying to change the atmosphere around us. I can get the lights right. I can get the AC right. You know, you know what the perfect church is? It's a church that has an air conditioner on every seat. Because you can't get the air right for everybody. The perfect church is a church that has a PA system on every pew. Because you can't get the sound just right for everyone. If it's too loud in the middle, then move up over here on the sides. Because that's just 20-20 vision. You can just see that there's some dead spots in the sanctuary. See, that's... I wouldn't let anything keep me from getting what God had for me in a Holy Ghost-filled church. Now, every saint of God has a responsibility. We're going to just teach some things that we've taught years ago. But you have a responsibility in this church to be a worshiper. And in this church, you have a responsibility to clap your hands, to raise your hands to kneel before the Lord, to pray, to sing, and not allow this to be a spectator event, but for it to be a participating event. I'll tell you where miracles are going to break out when we come into the unity of the faith and we begin to worship from the front wall all the way to the back. Just because somebody gets in here and doesn't get a good seat on Sunday morning they might be on the back row, but they might bring a praise that can pull down strongholds. And so we, we've got to learn that it doesn't matter what seat we have in our house. There might be people out in the congregation that can out sing people on the praise team, and we not even know it. They're just being quiet about their gift. But even in the seat, not on the praise team, you still have a responsibility to be a worshiper. Everybody say I am a worshipper. Say it one more time. I am a worshipper. So be it. I'm calling you back to worship tonight. I'm calling you back to demonstrative worship. I'm calling you back to the clapping of hands and the opening of your mouth and the praise that comes from the heart of a born again believer. Because let me tell you what'll happen. That when you become a worshipper, first of all, you'll be changed. Years ago we had an issue in the choir and it was during a revival with a man of God we respect. And one choir member was upset at another choir member and it was causing some issues. I know you think that everybody that's in the ministry of a church is perfect, but it was causing some issues. I thought he would give us a golden key on how to fix the conflict in the choir. And the only thing the man of God told us was, He said, I want you to teach that choir how to worship. When you become a worshiper, you get your eyes off of other people, and you get your eyes back on the one that matters. And when you get your eye on the one that matters, he begins to fix you, and then he's their God too. He can take care of them. And I'm telling somebody, you got to put your sword up and get your hands back up There'll be a time that God will tell you to fight. But right now is a time for you to worship and let God fight your battle. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Don't bother with what the naysayers say. Sometimes you got to block out every voice that rises against you. They might be frustrated that you're not entertaining their words. I feel like preaching a little bit tonight. I told myself I wasn't going to get excited tonight. I, was, I, I actually told myself I'm not. I'm going to slow down and I'm just going to kind of walk through the word tonight. But I feel a little push, a little unction because we, we got we to turn our situations around. Some of you have just put up with the enemy for so long that you thought this is the way it's got to be. You just thought I got to live in my home like this. No, God is calling you to worship. And when you worship, he's going to begin healing you. He's calling you to worship. And when you begin to worship, he's going to begin resourcing you. When you begin to worship, he's going to pull down strongholds. He's going to reveal himself to you. That's what we need is a revelation of who he really is. Everybody say, everybody ought to know who Jesus is look at your neighbor and say everybody doesn't know who Jesus is but I know who he is one of the fundamental things that you as a worshiper need is a revelation of who Jesus is because now get this The world has millions of people who are praying today. Some of them prayed longer than you did and more often than you did. I saw one in the airport. I believe it was Charlotte Airport. And right at the appointed time, the carpet went out. And they went down and began to bow towards Mecca and pray. So people, millions of people are praying around the world. Millions of people are serving around the world. They're serving in good organizations, doing good for mankind. And that really speaks to the heart of many people in in this room because all of us want to help people. And many people are worshiping. Millions of people are worshiping. But just because you pray, and just because you serve, and just because you worship, doesn't mean that you're praying to the right God, that you're serving with the right heart, and that you're worshiping the one true and living God. So this goes back to our text, in which Jesus said something really profound. And I want to begin this as the foundation of our worship series in which he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. Everybody say worship Worship. and serve. And And so I wanna talk about who we are to worship and who we are to serve because if you don't know who you're worshiping, then you won't know why you're serving And who you're serving. And you can feed the hungry. You can clothe the naked. You can do a lot of good in the world. But when you learn who to worship, then the serving automatically becomes an outflow of your worship. This word worship means to kiss, to prostrate oneself meaning to fall upon the knees in respect of someone of superior rank. People in that culture oftentimes would fall to their knees and then touch their head to the ground. It was a sign of humility to someone who was superior to them, that when I came to someone that I wanted to respect and honor, I would fall to my knees, put my head to the ground, And I would honor them by humbling myself before them. In fact, this word worship occurs some 60 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And worship is a humbling of the flesh. In fact, when we look at prayer, we understand that prayer humbles our flesh. For if my people, which are called by my name, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. That when we pray, it is admitting that we cannot do this on our own. We need God's help. And when we worship, it is acknowledging that he is greater than we are. That he is superior to us. And we humble ourselves under his direction. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. And we're going to walk through this just a little bit and see how far we'll get tonight. James chapter 4 and verse 6, which declares, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Years ago, a preacher that I used to, used to enjoy listening to, I listened to a tape of him preaching. There you go, a tape. That's something y'all cassette of him preaching. I knew some of y'all in this room would, not all of y'all, but some of y'all would know what a cassette was. And and I had heard him speak at conferences, but he he was upset that somebody wrote a letter to him criticizing his ministry. And uh, I found out years ago that that there were, it was hard for me to believe, but people that, uh, wrote things in, criticizing me, and the staff didn't even send it to me. So, so I just stayed free. I could just keep preaching and loving people. And I just, all I got to say about that is thank you, because I don't even want to know about it. But I remember that he read the letter, and then before the congregation, he proceeded to talk about his merits, and he said these words. He said, I know that I'm a great man. And, you know, that just kind of ended my appreciation for enjoying his ministry. Because I understand that none of us without God are great. It's on, the only great things in our life are the fact that God is working in us and working through us. God resisteth the proud. If, 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 you, if you want God to shut down in his operation in your life, you just decide I can do this on my own. I can do it without prayer. I can do it without worship. I don't need... I'm a self-made man or self-made woman. No, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And when you, when you want God's blessing on your life, it begins with an acknowledgement of who He is. When you honor the Lord with the first of your substance, you don't lean on your own understanding. You trust in Him Then he said, you're a man or a woman that I can bless. Proverbs chapter 3. So God's resistance is to the proud, but his grace is to the humble. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So now I'm going to bring you to the first step. If you're going to be a worshiper, you're not going to get there full of pride. you you're not going to get there because you got a pretty robe on, a clerical collar. You're not going to get there because you got a choir robe or a preaching robe or a nice suit. And, matter of fact, I don't own a suit or a tie that I can't sweat out when I praise and worship God. If you have a dress that is so nice that you can't worship God in it, then just leave it at home in your closet and save it for going out to dinner. Nothing wrong with that but wear you a little something that you can worship God in because nothing I own came by my own ability. It was all given to me by God. Everything that I have belongs to him. And he said he gives grace to the humble. So as a worshiper, number one, I've got to submit myself to God. Number two, resist the devil. Everybody say resist. resist. Somebody needs to write this down. Submit resist. to God. Some of y'all submitted to the devil. Well, I stopped praying because every time I do, the devil slaps me upside the head. I've had people tell me stuff like that. And it's, it's just easier not to pray than to go through all of that. So guess what? Now you submitted to the devil. Man, I began to study about the New Testament church and the power that the early church had. Do you, you know they, in the, the early church ble- believed there were two kingdoms? There was the kingdom of God, which was the church. And if you were in the church, and there was only one true church. I understand there were Judaizers. There were, there were people that broke away. But the one true church, the kingdom of God was in operation. That God had set authority in the church. And Paul was tough on false doctrine. I mean, we we like to use Jesus' example, the example of, you know, he loved everybody. Of course, we skip over the part where he went to the temple with a whip and cleaned it out and turned tables over If Jesus would come in some churches, it would be rough. (laughs) For them, not Jesus. But Jesus gave us the example of Paul in the New Testament. And Paul, Paul just said, well, concerning these, he said, I put them out of the church. That's what turning someone over to Satan means. It's actually excommunicating someone. The reason he put them out of the church, when I began to study that, it was because the kingdom of God, the church, was where the kingdom of God was in operation. And they believed that if you were no longer in good standing with the church that now you were put out of the church and Satan became your God. And he tore, he, he did whatever he wanted to you. Now, the, 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 the fact was they put them out because they didn't want them to hurt anyone else with their false teaching. The hope was that they would get out and be afflicted enough to repent and then come back into the church. But they had to be reconciled to God, not just reconciled to the people. Come on, that's good. They had to, and, and this is where we, many times when someone gets off track, we're so much trying to reconcile them to ourselves that we want to gloss over what's wrong with them. And they must be reconciled to God. We don't have to be ugly about it. We just need to be very gracious, gracious about it, pray for them. Turn them over to the hands of the Lord. But we must hold on to the truth of who Jesus is. So I just want to look at this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And when you put those two together, guess what the devil does? He's on the run. He flees from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. One of the first points that I want to make here tonight, and then I just want to walk through a few things, is it is Satan's job to confuse the object of your worship. If he can get you confused about who Jesus is, I was talking to these Indian pastors that were here on Sunday after the service and they said something to me that stuck out they said they said in India because of the Hindu religion you can't just preach to Hindus about I mean these guys in fact they said when we drove into town there was a there's a a temple there and they said we cursed it on the way to church (laughs) they just said it has to go I mean that's how and you know what? That's the kind, some kind of radical faith that we all need. When we really believe this truth, we're not willing to allow other people to be led astray just because we want to be politically correct. That's good. That's good, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Yeah. I'm trying to establish you in the things of God. Now, now he said, uh, they said, but in the Hindu culture, you can't just preach to them about Jesus because they, they accept him. Okay, I'll put him with the 30,000 other gods that I have, and he just becomes one of thousands. They said the way you convince a Hindu is through the supernatural power of God. That's what we need in our services, folks. We don't need services that just have a form of godliness, that just say, you know, oh, well, I'm That they were just choirs, good singers that people pulled together for a television show. And I mean, and people say, whoo, they brought the spirit. No, they were gifted. They were just gifted singers. But just because you clap your hands and stomp your feet, you can have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. I've seen preachers preach. They have perfected the art of preaching, but there's no power in their preaching. There's no demonstration I know, I know of a man that's trying to amass such a crowd that he was on track at one point, but now he has so many services. He has a, like a five-minute turnaround between his four services on Sunday. I got to get you out so I can get more people in. May we never get to the point where we just preach at you but never give you the opportunity to respond to the Word of God because there are people in our services that need healing, there are people in our services that need the Holy Ghost. There are people in our services that come in weary, worn, and sad, but when they leave, they're going to leave happy, empowered, and strengthened by the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm saying there may be a, there, there's a lot wrong with any church you would go to because it's got people in them. They used to teach me when I was younger. They said, little church, little problems. Big church, big problems. Bishop Kraft used to teach me. He said, "He said Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was a devil. He said, what makes you think if you get 100 people together and you're trying to pastor them that you're not going to have, you're going to do better than Jesus and not have at least one person? I want to thank you all because of the spiritual maturity that many of you have because you, you, some of you can spot people right away and know they're off. Uh-huh. I see them too. Will anybody be honest with me? Well, I wonder what pastor's going to do about them. I'm, I'm using, doing my best to be gracious. But there have been some things I've tried to handle without totally destroying a person. I remember years ago, there was an individual that was drawing a lot of attention to themselves. And while we were just worshiping God and the choir was singing, y'all were loving God, I had gone through a couple of weeks of that. Maybe two weeks. And I just kind of worshiped on up to them and put my voice up to their ear and say, keep worshiping God, but don't draw the attention to yourself. Yeah. Hey, we don't need to see how, if you can do the Michael Jackson or whatever. We're not, we're not, we not, save, the Lord's called you out of darkness. You don't need to come in and impress us with all of that. There's a worship that we can Quickly identify whether it's spiritual or not. We want it in this church. But I thank you for just being mature enough to say we're going to let this church be a worshiping church. And every now and then a little wildfire might break out. But you know what? We got it under control. We'll take care of it by the help of God. You keep worshiping because while you're worshiping, you who are mature, you're going to break strongholds. You're going to change the atmosphere. You're going to do something in this place. I remember years ago, and it really was a testament in my life about how as leadership goes, so congregations go. I remember it being quiet in a service. And I was sitting there on this front row. And I just began to pray in the Holy Ghost. I just began to speak in tongues. And it just kind of, the burden got stronger and stronger. And the next thing I know, I felt it rippling throughout all of the congregation. Some of you, God's going to raise you up to pastor your section. And instead of you trying to focus everything here, you're going to start being the atmosphere changer in the section that you sit in. You're going to be the worship leader in the aisle or the pew that you're on. We've got to learn that God will use us in that worship that first of all, to connect ourselves to God, and in doing so, we'll connect others. So Satan's job is to confuse the object of our worship. Look at this in James chapter 2. James 2.19. James is teaching. He says, Believest thou that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So when you believe in one God, Congratulations. You're on the same theological plane as the devil. Just believing in one God does not clarify who that one God is. So that's why you, as people who have the revelation of the name, you can't can't be misled by people who say, oh, I believe in one God. Because just because you believe in one God doesn't mean that you believe Jesus is God. This, a couple of weeks ago, as I was just reading, I felt like the Lord just began to just show me some very simple things concerning. And of course, I got this revelation a long time ago, but he just began to kind of just connect some things. And I heard a misleading statement, somebody who used to be a part of this assembly who no longer believes that Jesus is God. And I'm just going to go there because as the shepherd of this assembly, when you hear that, you got to let the warning bell out. And you got to say that is not right. Because, number one, when you say Jesus is not God, when you say Jesus is not God, then you're going to hell. John chapter 8. Except you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. You cannot be saved. That was the whole fight of what the Jews had trouble with. That was their whole deal. They would not accept Messiah. Let's just look at at the confirmations. Matthew chapter 1. An angel confirms that Jesus is God. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So, note the child. The child's name's Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. So, an angel in Matthew 1 confirmed Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 7 and 14, that Jesus was God. John chapter 4. Jesus himself declared that he was the Messiah, that he was, in fact, God. John chapter 4 the Samaritan woman at the well. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. Ye know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is... When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we're talking about worship. And he says, God is a spirit. Everybody say spirit. Spirit. In fact, Luke 24, 39. Jesus is speaking. He said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Jesus said a spirit has not flesh and bones. A spirit has not flesh and bones. We have this, because of religious art and false teaching, we have this idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to see three people somewhere sitting on three thrones or three crosses or three. But what we fail to realize is the whole story of Jesus was the fact that he was God manifest in the flesh. God who is a spirit that no man has seen at any time who has not flesh and blood bones. It's not like, Brother Scott, this, it's not like one is God, here's the Son, and here's the Holy Spirit. Right. That God, who is a spirit, manifests himself in Jesus Christ. I want to look. Let's just go to the scripture and look. I'm reading from the Amplified, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great and important and weighty, we confess is the hidden truth, the mystic secret of godliness. He, God, was made visible in human flesh, justified and vindicated in the Holy Spirit, was seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. That God, the Spirit of God, was manifest in the flesh so that he could walk among us. And we've got to understand That he's a spirit, so in order to worship him, he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And here's what I want to hit on this passage of John 20. The 25th verse says, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He said, I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. I am that one God, that Emmanuel, that was born in that stable, that God with us. So if an angel is not enough for you, and if Jesus is not enough for you, let's just have a few divine encounters through the New Testament that just keep establishing this truth. A Jewish scribe, one who would have spent his whole life studying the law. In fact, his, the, the teaching is in Mark the 12th chapter. That Mark chapter 12. Let's turn and look there. Mark 12 and verse 29. And Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. There's not another Lord. He is Lord. The Lord our God. Luke chapter 8, verse 38. A demon-possessed man. Now, out, now the man out of whom the devils were departed... Besought him that he might be with him. So get this picture. A man was full of devils. Jesus works a miracle and casts the devils out of this man. He is now in his right mind. When Jesus did it, the man didn't even want to leave. Here's what the man said. He said, Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. He said, Jesus said, I want you to go back to your house. Tell them what a great work God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things je- Oh, wait a minute. Should, if sh- God hath done unto thee and he went his way and published through the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Because the man who was demon-possessed, when he got his deliverance, and Jesus said, You go back and tell everybody how great God, a work God did in your life. When he went back, he knew who God was. And he declared to everyone the great things that God had done unto him. Doubting Thomas, John 20. I, here was why I was going to walk through it. I, I'm just reading the word and I just keep stumbling across these passages. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus. You remember eight days earlier on Sunday evening? He wasn't there when all uh, when the uh, disciples were all in that closed room behind closed doors and Jesus showed up. When they told him about it, he said, you know, except I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And here's what Thomas, who was not with them when Jesus came, Verse 24, the other disciples say unto him, we've seen the Lord. But he saith unto them, except I see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, stood in the midst, and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my God. For someone someone to say that Jesus was not God, then they're going to have to say, well, Thomas was theologically incorrect. I don't have time to take you to Acts 7 when Stephen was being stoned and he died calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus. So Stephen was stoned. You'd have to take out his stoning. You would have to take out the story of Doubting Thomas. You would have to take out the demon-possessed man's story, the religious scribe of that day. You would have to take out the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, the angel, and many others because Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And if you're going to be a true worshiper, you're going to have to know who Jesus is. You're going to have to unashamedly say I lift my hands and pray in the name of Jesus. I cast out devils in the name of Jesus. That whatever I do in word or deed, I do it all in the name of Jesus. Somebody say, In the name. When we preach in the name of Jesus, things happen. When we sing in the name of Jesus, Things happen. I'm reinforcing what we believed and done for 23 years. And I told somebody the other day I'll be doing it if God gives me the strength another 23 years. When I get old and another man, if he's pastor of this church, if I got to yell the name Jesus from the front row or the back row, I just want you to know there's nobody like Jesus. He can heal the sickness in your body. He can mend your family. He can bring you out of darkness into this marvelous light. He's already done it, he's doing it, and he's gonna do it. This community does not belong to the demonic spirits that have controlled it for years. This community has always belonged to the Lord Jesus. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. If the saints would get back to praying and get back to worshiping, I told you years ago, we can't afford to be in this city with the tired praise. We got to be passionate about singing about Jesus and passionate about preaching about Jesus. Because there's nobody like him. Woo! Give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus is the bridge. He's the ladder between heaven and earth. Everything that happens in our life happens through him, by him, and in him. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I can do all things through Christ, in Christ, through Christ, which strengthens me. And by Christ. And I'm coming to a close. Paul, the writer to Hebrews, in the 13th chapter says, By Him. Therefore, let us. I like the corporate aspect of us. Because He didn't just say, Well, by Him, let me. Now, me ought to be a part of us. By him, who is him? Come on, don't make me re-preach it all. Jesus. Some of y'all ain't had dinner yet. <laughs> who is him? Jesus. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to who? Jesus. To God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Man, I don't have time to get up in Isaiah cuz Isaiah saw it before it ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah, when you get in the around chapter 44 and he begins to talk about <laughs> I'm God and beside me there is no other. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh. Revelation said he was the first and the last, but you go all the way back to Isaiah and Isaiah saw it before John the Revelator ever began to pen the words. He said, by him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That means without ceasing. Doesn't mean just when I'm doing well. It also means when I'm in the middle of a battle. When I'm in the middle of a fight, it's actually a good time for me to learn how to praise. Sometimes I've had to just throw up my hands and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I praise you. I give you praise I give you glory, I give you honor. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You can tell when somebody has lost their praise by what comes out of their mouth. If you hang around some people, they never give thanks or acknowledge God for anything. It's it's always something negative. It's always something. If everything that comes out of your mouth is something other than giving praise to God, then you have gotten off track. You ought to be able to celebrate the accomplishments that God has done in your life. But you just go ahead and seal it with giving him praise. You ought to say, yeah, I'm headed tomorrow to Atlanta, but if the Lord will, you ought to be able to say, you know, God blessed me abundantly, and I thank him because he's the one that gave me the resources. When you learn how to acknowledge God in all of your ways, no acknowledgement, no direction. But when you have, when you, when you need a little direction, if you don't know where to go, acknowledge him and he'll show you the path and make it clear. So we ought to continually let the fruit of our lips give him praise. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, and with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Maybe time will allow us to get into the next portion of this. The Old Testament had a sacrificial system set up. Where you brought a bull, a goat, or some kind of animal to sacrifice, to give an offering to God. But the New Testament... The sacrifice changed, and as the people of God, God has called us out of darkness. That we should show forth His praise. I just want to end. I want to end with this. 1 Peter two nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're the guardians. You're the priest in your home, guarding monotheism, the fact that there's not 30,000 gods. There's only one God. The same God, that, the same God that doubting Thomas saw when he touched his hands and said, my Lord and my God. He realized who he was. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Put your Bibles down for just a moment. I feel impressed to say this, that, and, and every now and then I'll, I'll hit this. When you follow Jesus, you've got to give up all of your other paths. You can't follow astrology and horoscope and your, your magic books and all of that. When you follow Jesus, you can't mix all of that and follow Jesus. You can't take the good out of everyone and then... When you follow him, you have to lay all of that down because Satan can transform himself as an angel of light. And some people actually are in darkness following the light. The spirit is urging them to do things, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to do one thing as we end. I want to end in worship tonight. And it's a little interesting because we don't have any music, so that just means uh, we have worshipers. (laughs) But here's how I want you to end. I, I want us just to acknowledge God and just thank him that he's given us the revelation of who he is. Some of us could be trapped in darkness tonight and not even know who Jesus is. We could be like Brother Rob Rory who said he started studying other religions trying... Because he had gotten off track, but God brought him back. There are others that are here, but we know who he is. I wonder, especially, I got some elders in the church here. You all have been, you've been leaders. (laughs) Would you show some of us younger people how to worship and praise today? You don't have to run around the building, but just lift your hands for just a moment. Acknowledge God. Young people, acknowledge that at this point in your life, God, I give you praise. I acknowledge there's no one like you. God, I thank you for the revelation of your name. I thank you for who you are. I belong to you. Thank you for calling me out of darkness into this glorious gospel, to the marvelous light of your gospel. God, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. I thank you, Lord. Kuya la ra rasata. Hallelujah. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. We give thanks to you, Lord. We give you praise, glory, and honor in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to end this teaching tonight a little differently. I'd like for us just to break a little something in here. I remember a day in this church when y'all weren't as reserved as you are now. I don't ever want us to get to the point where we think that maybe we're at a different place where we don't demonstrously worship God. But I remember a day when people would flood these altars and dance. And Sister Deonx, I just honor you so much. When I was preparing this lesson today, thinking about worshipers, your face came up before me, and I thought, she's a worshiper. She's not the only one. There are other worshipers in the house here today. But do you know that all of us have a responsibility to be a worshiper, not just in the house, but you gotta be a worshiper in the city and a worshiper in your home. Worship becomes a lifestyle. It's not just a form that you do because of religion. And I'd I'd like to do this for just a moment. Those of you that feel comfortable enough to just get out and walk a little bit. And I just want want you to pray over this sanctuary. Said, Lord, would you just let the worshipers be stirred up at New Destiny? Would you just allow there to be just a breaking in this place of intimidation and fear? That there would be such a spirit of praise and worship that the, the congregation would just feel and outpouring of your spirit. I pray, God, that you would fill people with your spirit during the praise and worship portion of the service. When the word is preached, may the worshipers be activated. May they leave here today with a call to worship. May they realize that the call is personal. God, I praise you. I honor you. I pray that as your people worship tonight, that you'll work out their problems, that you'll fight their battles, that you will fight on their behalf. Some of them have illnesses in their body. As they worship, let the sickness go. As they worship, let the, do- the resources come. As they worship, let the strongholds be broken. As they worship, let your name be glorified. I pray that you'll just begin to move among this youth group and move among the saints of God. Let this place be an atmosphere of worship and praise unto the living God. We honor you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. Hallelujah. I ask God to start something tonight in this church that was something fresh. I did it while I was driving to church tonight. I said, Lord, would you begin something in new destiny that's fresh? Would you let something break tonight that there'll be a fresh outpouring of your spirit? Begin a good work, a new work, a fresh work in this congregation. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you'll bring into this house worshipers, people, who are demonstrative, who praise you passionately, who lift your name up, who glorify you in song and word and deed, put in the heart of every member a desire to worship the one true and living God. May we never be ashamed to raise our hands and open our mouth. May we May never be ashamed to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Hallelujah. Is there somebody here that's been praying for a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in your life? Who's been praying for a fresh outpouring? If you're here and you want prayer, I just want you to come and stand right here. When you get here, I just want you to raise your hands, and we're going to lay hands on you and pray the prayer of faith over you. But while we do, I want you to worship. After you've repented of anything that has kept you, Sister DeYoung's help us pray. Some of these others, Brother Tevin... As you worship, God's going to heal. As you worship, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The chains are coming off in the name of Jesus. As you worship, things are changing. God's going to take the desire out of your heart for drugs and nicotine. He's going to take the desire for alcoholism. He's going to take every habit and replace it with a deep hunger and desire for him. You better lay it down tonight. Let it go in the name of Jesus. Release it in Jesus' name. Oh, I pray the word prayer of faith over you. I speak the word of faith and declare that you be healed in Jesus' name.. If you don't even know what to say, call on the name of Jesus. And say, Jesus, save me, deliver me, set me free. Andaboko shatah. Andabar rasota. Andaboko Andaboko shatah. Hallelujah. You're the first fruits of a revolution in your home. You might come from a dead environment, but when you begin to worship, the atmosphere of your home is going to change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. If it's comfortable, just pray with somebody for just a moment. A brother with a brother, a sister with a sister. Just take a moment and pray. Pray for them right now. If two or three come together and come into agreement, asking for anything, it'll be done unto them. Hallelujah. Lord, we ask you to do something fresh in this church tonight. We ask for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We ask for a renewing of your spirit. Gifts have been laying dormant for too long. For too long. Tonight is the night. It's a new beginning. la Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who healeth all our diseases. You can get what you need tonight. You don't have to be perfect, just worship. Ask God to touch your heart. hallelujah I just feel that maybe some that will want to kneel and pray and spend time worshiping you you can worship however God chooses to move on your heart but there's a the spirit of God is in this place here today fill me up Lord fill me up with your spirit Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You must be born again. Don't try this without the Holy Ghost. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Lord, fill me up. Fill me with your spirit. Strengthen our heart tonight. Encourage your people tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. When you worship, it takes you in the presence of the king. And when you get in the presence of the king, you can ask what you will. Fill me up, Lord, with your spirit. Let the worshipers arise. Hallelujah. They know who God is. They know what God has done. They're going to give him praise continually. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus.